My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. This morning I'm going to be preaching primarily from the Gospel according to St. Matthew. The title of my sermon is Some Say. So there's a TV show that I used to love to watch called, this all makes sense in a second, okay? It was called uh, Top Gear. And uh, the show is actually still on, but there's different hosts now, and it's not nearly as good as it was before. But back in the day when it was still good, they had a racing driver who was in an all-white racing suit and a white helmet. You could never see his face. And he would be the driver who would uh, drive the race cars around the track so they could get, uh, so they could be timed. He was called the Stig. And they would always introduce him with odd sayings like this. Some say he's wanted by the CIA and that he sleeps upside down like a bat. All we know is he's called the stick. And so they would, they would always introduce him with this, some say. And nobody knew who he was except the people on the production team. There were theories out there. If you know Formula One at all, there was a, probably one of the most famous F1 drivers who's sadly not racing anymore due to some accident. But uh, his name was Michael Schumacher, right? And he used to drive for Ferrari. And he was one of the best F1 drivers of all time. And there was a theory that it was Michael Schumacher. And he even came on the show and took off the helmet. And everyone's like, he was, no, he wasn't actually this thing. And so there were different theories about which racing driver was this this character and then it came out many years later that the, the stick was actually a race driver named Ben Collins Ben Collins but there were years before we figured out or we knew who the stig actually was and so people had constantly ask some say he's this guy some say he's he's that guy and it, that popped into my head this morning, well not this morning, when I was prepping for this sermon where Jesus asks the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they responded with, some say this person, some say that person. Right off the bat we see here in the Gospel of Matthew when he says, who do people say that I the Son of Man am? We see a, a hint. Jesus is kind of already identifying himself because he calls himself the son of man the son of man it's like he's giving them the answer to the quiz before he even hands it out and this phrase the son of man is important and if you came to our revelation classes which are done by the way we talked a lot about this actually about who the son of man is in the Old Testament, particular in Daniel 7, 13 to 14, I'll read briefly. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So this phrase, the son of man, speaks to multiple things, right? The first thing that the Son of Man is a reference to is just a normal human being, right? Like in the book of Ezekiel, God, call, uh, book, yeah, God calls the prophet Ezekiel. In the book of Ezekiel, he calls him all the time, Son of Man, do this. Son of Man, do that. Son of Man, prophesy this. Son of Man, prophesy that. 
He's referring to Ezekiel as just a human being. But the Son of Man is also a messianic title, which we see fully explicated in like the one I just read from Daniel chapter 7, right? There's like a human figure who also is divine, to whom is given rulership over all creation, who rules alongside the ancients of days, which would be, we would see as God the Father. So he rules with the ancient of days, this son of man. He goes to the throne of God and is given rulership over all things. So Jesus is saying, I'm telling you right now in advance, this is who I am. This is who I am. With that in view, who do people say that I am? So the disciples respond, well, some say you're John the Baptist. So right away, we know who John was because we have the benefit of reading and hearing about him, right? But in the New Testament era, Jesus' ministry is happening alongside of John's, right? John is just this wild man from the desert who just shows up out of nowhere and starts preaching and baptizing people and calling them to repentance preparing them for the coming of Jesus. He's the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make straight the pathways for our God. And people see him as a prophet because that's what prophets do. They call people to repentance. And people think that Jesus might be John is because in, the, in chapter 14, John has died. John has died. But Jesus is still doing kind of a similar thing. Jesus is baptizing people. We see this in the Gospel of John, it's referenced. And Jesus is also preaching a message of repentance. Jesus' message is, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John's message is, repent because there's one coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to loosen. He can't be John. Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah, right? These are two of the most important Old Testament prophets, right? There was this belief that Elijah would return again, right? Kind of like King Arthur in the, in, in if you read, you know, the more today Arthur or, or whatever the popular King Arthur stories are, there's this legend, right, that, that he's injured and he's, he's rowed away to the, the island of Avalon, but he will return one day in, in you know, England's darkest need. Arthur will return and make everything right again. Elijah, there's a similar theme with him, right? Because he gets taken up in the fiery chariot to heaven while he's walking alongside his protege, Elisha. And so there is this view among, in the ancient world that Elijah would return. And Elijah is the prophet whose ministry was done under the reign of Israel's most wicked king and queen, Ahab and Jezebel. And Elijah, during Ahab and Jezebel's reign, he prophesies against them because they lead Israel astray. He shuts up the sky where there's no rain for three years. He works miracles. And then when we see the prophet Jeremiah, he's the one who God commissions as a young man to preach repentance and the coming judgment. And Jeremiah prophesies heavily against the priestly class and the religious class in Jeremiah. Elijah, his, much of his ministry is against the monarchy. Much of Jeremiah's ministry is against the ruling religious classes. And what's interesting about this is that Jesus' ministry has characteristic of all three of these figures. Elijah, Jeremiah, and John. Right, John 3.22, like I mentioned, it tells us that Jesus and his disciples are baptizing people. Jesus performs miracles. Jesus is constantly in conflict 
with the religious class or with the ruling class. And he'll come in conflict with the political class as well. But Jesus' ministry is different than these three. Because his ministry is bringing salvation. And this question, who do men say that I am, then leads into the question he asks his disciples. That's great that people think these things about me. And yes, there may be aspects of these men's ministry that look similar to mine. But with all of that in view, he says, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And remember, this is just a few, we're a few weeks past this, but the, 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 the story of Jesus walking on the sea happened a few chapters before. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answers, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Christ means the anointed one. The anointed one. The Son of the living God means that Jesus himself is God. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The Son of God means that Jesus shares in the divinity of the Father. And we confess this in our creeds, right? Only begotten Son, begotten of the Father, before all worlds, light from light, true God, true God. You know, we say begotten, not made of one being with the Father. When it says that Jesus is begotten, it does not mean that he is created or made, but that he shares in what the Father is and what the Father has, as well as the Spirit. And Peter's confession of Jesus being the Son of God, of sharing in the divinity with the Father, this is the rock upon which the church will be built. This is the confession that binds them and all Christians together. And Christ, in this passage, he confers upon Peter and the rest of the twelve special authority. He gives them the keys of the kingdom. And we actually see this exercised in the book of Acts when, when Peter, in a sense, uses this, the keys to open the door to the Gentiles in the book of Acts. And he gives them the authority to bind and loose. And this is likely a parallel to what we see in John's Gospel, where Jesus confers upon the twelve the authority to forgive or to retain sins, to bind and to loose. And Jesus says, The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. In other words, that the gates of hell cannot stand against the confession of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And the gates of hell will not be able to stand against those whom Jesus commissions to go out into the world with the transforming power of the gospel. As this is the foundation that is for all, everything that is to come. Right? And this, this isn't a picture of the church having its own gates and hell having its own gates and then hell is attacking and smashing itself against, you know, the gates of the church. No, what I think what we have in view is something wholly different is that we have the gates of hell and then we have the rock, this confession of faith that, that Peter gives out, right? Who, who Jesus is. This is a giant massive rock that is smashing through the gates of hell. It's not, a, I don't think this is a, a defensive description. I think this is an offensive description. Right? The gates of hell cannot stand against the power of Christ. And this rock will smash through the gates of hell or any gate that is put up against it.
And this question that Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Who do others say that I am? Who do you say that I am? This is the question of the ages. And many people have given thousands of different answers, some of which may have some shade of truth. And the good thing about that is we can use some of those shades of truth to draw people's eyes to the truth. Jesus, you know, oh, he was a great man in history. Well, there are many men who are wise teachers. And there were even many men who gave their lives for what they believed in, but they all fall short of Jesus. You know, Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death, right? That's great. But it's far different from Jesus giving his own life. Jesus is not just a teacher, even though he is a teacher. Jesus is not just a prophet, even though he is a prophet. Jesus is not a traveling miracle worker. Jesus is not a bodhisattva. He's not an enlightened person helping people to become enlightened. Jesus is not a sage dispensing wisdom. You know, he's not sitting on top of a mountain people coming up to him and him saying profound things like, wherever you go, there you are. And people leaving like, wow, that was really profound. Jesus is not a, a sage. Jesus is not a way to God amidst a plethora of ways. Jesus is not one path to God on a mountain where there's multiple paths all leading to the same place. Jesus is God's own self-revealing. Jesus is God's very enfleshment, his taking on human nature, suffering alongside the creation that, he, that suffers as well. Jesus is not any of these things. He's not just some good man who said some good things. You know, the other day I saw this, there's this uber progressive minister who, who wrote, Jesus was not, he, he wasn't crucified to atone for the sins of the world. Uh, he was crucified because empire is bad and we need to resist empire. He resisted empire, so that's why they had him killed. Please. Jesus is the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. Jesus is not the Lamb of God who was slain to appease the wrath of Roman dignitaries. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Son of Man. He is the Word made flesh, who St. John reminds us, tabernacled among us. And it is upon this rock, this confession, that the Church of Jesus Christ is built. And it is upon this rock, this confession, that the Church is not only built, but also actively comes against and destroys and batters down the gates of hell, the gates of sin, the gates of death. And however that raises its head, Christ is supreme and above all. And like the prophets of old, he calls all to repentance. And unlike the prophets of old, who cannot offer salvation, he offers salvation through the shedding of his own blood for us and for all mankind. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you are ever in the area, please join us for worship. We'd love to meet you. If you have any questions about what you heard, or if you would like prayer, please reach out to us on our Facebook page or our website, zionstoneucc.com. 
We also are raising funds for some repairs to our stained glass windows. So if you get a benefit from listening to this podcast, please head over to GoFundMe.com slash Zionstone Church Repair Fund. God bless you, and thanks for listening.